Hi, this is Emeka and Elandris, and you're listening to the So Far Us podcast, the 30-minute podcast where we break down a trending topic, centering the discussion on the Black millennial woman's experience, and explore what it means for us by answering with, so for us, now let's break down this episode's trending topic. So we decided to do this month's episode a little differently. Um, As we're all aware recently, Roe v. Wade was overturned, like very recently. Uh, But we kind of knew this was coming because of the draft. And you saw some people bringing up... um, the um um what Handmaid's is it called tale. the handmade handmade sale thank you yes mm-hmm. um but then um you also saw some people saying you know actually um when you look at kind of what's transpiring in our country right now or even globally it actually sounds a lot like another book Um, And that book is Parable of the Sower by Octavia E. Butler. Um, So we decided that we would read it. Um, It was my first time reading it. Was it also your first time? Yeah. So we decided that we would finally read it um, and also discuss it together and see if we also saw the similarities um, in the book to today, um, and I mean, I can speak for me very much so. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it came right on time. Even though it was written in the 90s, um, and for those who haven't read it, um, it starts, what, in 2024? Mm-hmm. And then it tr- goes, like, a few years uh, from there. And, I mean even when you think about like on the back of the book or the version of the book I have, and you know, they have like the summary kind of tell you what to expect. And the first sentence is when global climate change and economic crisis lead to social chaos in the early 2020s, California becomes full of dangers. um, And then it goes on to kind of the different ways it's in danger, but that's exactly what we're facing now. You have the climate change, you know, we're starting to really see the effects of that, including in the weather patterns. Um, and of course, the economic issues that we are facing. I mean, look at how much we're paying for gas, how much we're paying for food. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's almost hard to read because it is too real. It is today. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's really like, are you sure you meant 2024? Because Almost feeling almost 2022-ish. Um, so what did you think about um, the book and your first reading of it? So um, as I was reading it, like I literally finished right before um, Senator John Cornyn decided to invoke Brown v. Board and Plessy versus Ferguson after Roe v. Wade was overturned. And I was just thinking to myself, how ironic that a book that was written in 1993 is predicting the things that are happening in 2022. And 
Um, I felt that way when I actually watched The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, I started watching it a couple of years ago with my husband. He started it, and I was like, what is this? It seems interesting, but it seems trauma. It seems mm-hmm. like so much trauma because it's too real. And I got that same feeling with Parable of the Sword because I felt like it was basically what's to come. Like, we can see these things about to impact us. Like, we see the end coming. And it just felt so surreal seeing how someone who created this dystopian universe was able to predict so much. And that's that's what blows my mind. And, and even with climate change being an issue, even with an economic crisis being an issue, in both situations, in 2022 and in Parable of the Sower, racism is still prevalent. Right. And I was um, like, you have so much trauma and you still find ways to be racist. I don't know. Uh, and yeah, because I, I find it interesting, you know, there's a conversation about um, what cases um, the Supreme Court may go after next, right? Um, and one of the things that people say could possibly be coming is loving um, be Virginia, right? Oh, yeah. um, which is the ability to marry anyone of any race. And you find in this book, um, there's a lot of talk about how, you know, you could find yourself in danger if people see you um, with a partner that's not of the same race. Even though in her neighborhood, it seems to kind of, it happened, and even in her family, the main character, Lauren, her dad is remarried to someone who's not the same race as him. But even after they leave, or when she leaves, and then she um, continues on with two of the characters um, that used to live in the neighborhood before the neighborhood was destroyed, um, there was conversation about that and what that looks like. Right, and it just, it was just interesting to see those dynamics because Harry, uh, the the guy she was traveling with, it was Harry and Zara. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. Harry was white. And so the first conversation they had when they were escaping after witnessing their family and their community get destroyed uh, was if they see you two together, they're going to bring trouble because you're black and he's white. And so the first thing they decided to do was cut her hair so that she can portray a man and so that she can seem like she's partnered with Zara mm-hmm. instead of Harry and I thought that was interesting like you still have to protect yourself from racism in a time where people have nothing right where like you would think everyone is like it sounds like some people are doing criminal things because maybe that's just them but there's also some people who are doing things that you know probably aren't legal but it's what you have to do to survive and so you're in a situation where you're having to do things that may seem out of your character or what you prefer to do just to be able to survive and the fact that you still have to worry about you know someone who's out there also trying to survive it's going to take the time from their struggling and figuring out how to continue on to be like, wait a minute, 
is that a mixed race couple? Like, right. Like, how's, right. Is, that a, is that a priority or do we need to just keep walking up um, the one-on-one like, to get to where we're trying to get? Right. And it's, it's right. like priorities. Priorities. Like, I, I <laughs> like in no case, like even you see that also in The Handmaid's Tale a little bit, like all of the Marthas are Black and they're all servants. And it's it's like even in a dystopian world, <laughs> black people are considered to be inferior, more inferior than those who are suffering similar oppression based on the color of their skin. Like they're still trying to find some kind of superiority over black people because they're black. <laughs> and I'm like, it, it just... And I mean, related to that, um, that takes me to um, in the back of my version of the book, um, they have a reading group guide, and one of them was like a set of questions um, that were posed to Octavia E. Butler in '99. And the last question we have is, what would you like readers to get from this novel? What would you like them to think about? Um, and she says, I hope people who read Parable of the Sower will think about where we seem to be heading. We, the United States, even we, the human species, where are we going? What sort of future are we creating? Is it the kind of future you want to live in? If it isn't, what can we do to create a better future individually and in groups? What can we do? And I thought about that because in our discussion about, you know, race is still an issue, but yeah because this is not like a a book where she's creating like a new universe or a parallel universe it is actually like this is where the 90s version of the united states is heading uh and so yeah i mean race race relations are not you know it's the issues in race relations have not gone away here we are in 2022 so, I mean, it seems that that aspect of it was on point. Although I don't, I felt, I am interested to know, like, what aspects of it made you feel like she was saying Black people in particular were treated as inferior still? Because when I would read the, um, the passages that kind of talked about uh, mixed race couples, it kind of felt like maybe it was just like, you just shouldn't do that. You should just keep right. to yourself and get that sense of it specifically because you shouldn't be with black people because they're not like on our level or inferior. So I may have missed that. So, so there are a few things. So there's a character in there called Bankole or Bankole. And he is a love interest of Lauren, the main character. And they talk, he talks about what it was like growing up in the 90s. And he talks about there being an issue of race and what they had to do to survive. And then there's another section in there where they talk about this part of town called Olivar where you Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes. Okay. I remember okay. that. Yes. Her father was adamant that, well, not adamant, but he felt strongly that they probably wouldn't want black and brown people there. And even if they did, 
it would be like to do like the cleaning and there were also conversations I don't know if it was the dad it may have been some of the other people from the neighborhood who also weren't interested in all of our who thought that you know the guards or security people are going to let out whatever force or whatever authority they have on someone and it's more likely to be the people of color who are also more likely to have like the lower level positions there and like right. lower salary if any salary so you're right thank you that's exactly what I was asking for so I was like my mind's not picking up but you're absolutely right that's a prime example yeah yes and it's and it's just interesting because like there the olivar was something that i wanted to bring up when we talked about it today because we look at what's happening in the housing market in america today and mm. how major corporations yeah. are actually buying up houses and apartments and people can't afford apartments uh yes. rent and can't afford yes. mortgages and yes. so part of it part of what happens in olivar is People have to work to live in the places where they live. They have to work to get the food to go there. They're not allowed to have weapons. Only the security people are allowed to have weapons. So you're literally working for your housing and your food. You have nothing of your own. You cannot generate any wealth. And it just got me to thinking, like, is that the ultimate goal for what some of these corporations and investment uh Oh, I'm sorry, uh, hedge fund companies are mm -hmm. doing when they're buying up these properties, are they trying to make it so that people can't afford to excel and thrive on their own? They have to live in these places that companies own and they have to eat what they provide. They can't live outside of that. And it, it just really blew my mind. I was like, this could literally happen. I mean, definitely good no go ahead um well i was just going to say i mean because not even just the fact that you know if you're going to lease the house you'll be leasing it from this company that owns the house like it's not owned by a person um but the idea that people can no longer afford to buy into those neighborhoods because now once they start paying a oh, hundred plus k over that house all of the houses eventually in that area the value goes up right so a lot of people are now seeing that in their property taxes where their house is valued for more and it's like i just bought this house what do you mean um and so now people who haven't bought a house are in the market looking they can't afford to buy the houses but then also if you're renting it's now hard to afford your rent because a lot of people i know they're getting their renewal notices and it's going up by several hundreds of dollars and right. they're not negotiating with you because they know all of the apartment complexes are doing the same thing and they know you have nowhere else to go and but where do you go when you literally can't afford it i've been seeing people talking about the fact that you have to make three times the rent and now the rents are so high who's making three times the rent <laughs> Right, when well, minimum wage is still seven twenty-five an hour. Something also to think about um, when it comes to that is um, somebody posted a tweet uh, about this yesterday, and it just really got me to thinking about this book. 
and how they came together as a community and how they were close knit, even if they didn't like each other, they still had this moment of protecting each other. It's so sad that in our community that we have such broken relationships that people who have left their homes, their families, can't go back home where they can pull their money together, where they can save up, where they can live in a house together, where they can have land to protect themselves from price gouging from apartments and mortgage companies. So it's, I really hope that people really start to focus on mending relationships with their children and with their parents and with their family members so that they can pull their funds together because it is, it is very scary. It is very scary. Like you don't want to get to that point where you have to do it to survive out of this, this, this weird overhaul of society. You may want to start doing it now while there is a bit more freedom, where there is a bit more, I guess, normalcy before we get to the point of where they start taking away rights and and freedoms of people on a regular basis because I personally I I hate to be a Debbie Downer but I see it coming I've studied too much history to not see it coming and because Roe v. Wade was taken away and it was the only constitutional right that was given that was taken away it's not too far off for them to look at other constitutional rights and start taking them away as well. So I, I, I'm thinking about those families that are broken that may have to come together where you have like aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters living all underneath one roof to try to save money, to try to build wealth together. We, that book really just reminded me that we have to do better as family. We, we yeah. have to do better as family. That's and, very true. And yeah. there is a state, I can't remember if it was Missouri or Illinois, that is trying to make it illegal for strangers to live together. Yeah. Like like they're they're if you're not related if you're not related to them, then you can't live together. They're trying to block that from happening. It was like a number like three or four, right? Yeah. You couldn't have yeah. more than three or four adults who are unrelated live together. Yeah. Um, yeah, that definitely stood out um in the book of how these families were living. Like not Lauren's family in particular, but a lot of the families in the neighborhoods were living with like the sister and the sister's kids and spouse, and then they would get married and like get half of a garage. Um, So you're like growing up in the house with your cousins, siblings, aunts, uncles. There was one family where the grandfather was still there. Um, So yeah, that, that is, uh, that's a good point because obviously that was a survival mechanism for them. Um, Right. And even you saw some of the family members like, um, the one character who moved with his twin sister and her children after their aunt, I think, had died. Mm -hmm. And then after, you know, his sister and 
kids died he then left and went back somewhere else to stay with more family so that was definitely um a survival mechanism at that time and so it's interesting for you to present it as a generational wealth building mechanism currently before we get to that point where we have to do it for survival and also kind of that conversation you can see throughout the book up into when they actually have to get into like serious survival mode back when they still had you know a sense of at least pretend security from their wall um but lauren was adamant about you know we have to get ready um things are not going to go back to normal and it's like you all know this but you're convincing yourself that it will um And there was one point where she said um, they were asking her, I think about maybe her emergency pack that she had built. This was after they had left. And so she was with Zara and Harry. Um, And I think it was Zara who said, you're ready for all the trouble. You saw it coming. She said, no, no one could have been ready for that, meaning what happened to their neighborhood in particular. But I thought something would happen someday. I didn't know how bad it would be or when it would come, but everything was getting worse. The climate, the economy, crime, drugs, you know. I didn't believe we would be allowed to sit behind our walls, looking clean and fat and rich to the hungry, thirsty, homeless, jobless, filthy people outside. Um, And in some sense, whenever she would talk like that in the book, I would think about us today, right? It's really easy for a lot of us to feel kind of complacent and comfortable we yes we see all these things happening we see our rights being taken from us right and we're very much aware of it um and you get upset and you might you know whatever you do everybody has their different level of participation of what they will do right um but then you're still gonna, you know, watch your Netflix. You're still gonna sleep probably a little bit okay if you have that, right? Some people, this right. sense of you're okay within the walls of whatever home you may have, you know, your day-to-day continues. Um, so I guess kind of like this, we know it's wrong, we see it happening, but I wonder if our sense of urgency is at the level that Lawrence was at. Like, are we actually creating our emergency bad you know because she's like it's coming I know we're comfortable and I know we don't want to talk about like how bad it can really really get and even if we do kind of know it and talk about it are we really taking the steps right now to prepare ourselves for if they you know the worst case scenario and we're in straight survival mode are we ready for that um So, like, with all the things that are going on, economy, our rights, um, climate change, are you kind of preparing? There are some people who are becoming those, like, what do you call them, doomsday preparers or whatever. Some people who are picking up gardening. Um, Some people who are like, I need to start learning these skills, like, I need to go spend the summer with my grandma, learn how to sew. How do I make food from scratch? Are you doing any things like that that maybe you didn't think 10 years ago you would be spending time doing? 
So this past weekend, while I was reading, I thought about like how they were growing their own food and I ended mm-hmm. up getting two gardening bins. And so we're right now we're growing onions and parsley and we're trying to see if we can actually do it. We have to replace our tree out front because it died and I'm going to grow fruit on those trees. Um, if the onions and the parsley grow, then I'm going to start growing tomatoes and cucumbers and so forth. Um, I, I can sew a little bit. I can put things together. It may not be the, the right stitching, but I can make do with sewing some clothes together or repurposing clothes. Um, I am also like we did this uh, a few years ago before our second son was born. We all got passports. So and we got our oldest a passport. Now, I've been looking to try to get my youngest a passport, but every time I try to pull it up, there's no availability. Hmm. There's no availability for four weeks. So I'm still trying to get my youngest his passport because in the U.S. you can't travel without a passport. Even if you're an infant, you can't just use the birth certificate and the social security number. They have to have a passport. So mm-hmm. I am definitely trying my best um, to prepare for the worst case scenario. Um, trying to save money in case we have to leave. I tell my husband all the time, we keep our cars on full. I know gas is high, but we try to make sure like we keep our gas tanks above a half tank so that we can have somewhere to get to. Um, One thing I noticed about this book is that they wanted to travel north. Mm -hmm. And I have been thinking about that. I'm like, are we going to go north to Canada or are we going to go south to Mexico? Because sometimes people end up thinking about the Underground Railroad and thinking about like the liberation of enslaved Africans in the U.S. and they travel north to Canada or to northern states, but people really don't realize that they also travel south to Mexico. Did the book ever say why they wouldn't instead go south because i mean la is closer to mexico no they did not and that was something that was pointed out to me and i've noticed that there is um there are quite a few black people who have been going to mexico for restarting their lives Mm -hmm. and um i've heard mixed reviews about why they're going there um and what type of impact they have on the economies out there Um, but I feel like I would go south before I would go north because it's closer to Texas but yeah that's right especially I mean because in their book they're walking yeah (laughs) and so to walk yeah I I'm curious as to why they did not why it seemed like walking south was just not even a consideration. They never even talked about it. Like even when they started walking on the highway, they're like, you know, most people are walking um, north or maybe west, I think. And then they said there were like a few people going against the grain, but they were like going east towards like mountains and deserts. But they never talked about people going south. They did mention San Diego though, but not like a place to go. But right. that was as much as they talked about what was going on south of LA. And I think the furthest they made it was to Seattle. 
Mm. I, I want to say the first they made it was to Seattle. And of course, there is, you know, a second book, Parable of the Talent. So maybe we'll learn more there. And then she was going to do a third book, but she passed away. Mm. Um, any final thoughts on the book? Um, overall, I think that um, it's an interesting read. Um, I I do compare it to Handmaid's Tale a little bit. I, I could see the parallels between both in today's world. Um, I do recommend people do read Parable of the Sour and look at Handmaid's Tale uh, and, and draw their own comparisons. Uh, as far as the book on its own, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a little nervous. It just made me nervous. Yeah. Um, so I am looking forward to also reading Parable of the Town. I do watch Handmaid's Tale as well. I have not read it. Um, I might read it. I know the new season is coming soon. Um, but all 24 has... Um, received the rights to turn Parable of the Sower into a film. So they hopefully it will continue to move forward. So that's something to look forward to watching it on the big screen or in the comfort of your home when it's available on VOD or streaming. You never know where it might end up. So I look forward to that. I think it'll be interesting to see what that adaptation looks like. Yes. Yes. I want to watch it too. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the So For Us podcast. Be sure to check us out on your favorite social media sites using the at So For Us podcast handle. Like, comment, leave a review, send us a trending topic you'd like us to discuss, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button. We'll talk to you soon in the best place that is So For Us.